This episode of Potty Rich contains discussions of sexual assault and racial violence, so me and Sophie wanted to make sure that we prioritize the safety of our listeners by giving a proper content warning. Hi, welcome back to Potty Rich. This is Sophie Way. And this is Graham Rhodes. Um, First and foremost, Black Lives Matter. Um, In making this podcast, um, this is not going to be a regular podcast, not a regular Potty Rich episode. Um, Me and Sophie are going to be discussing um, the documentary, The uh, 13th, just the, uh, whoa, I just said it again, just 13th. Um, It's on Netflix. It's been out since 2016, um, but it's increasingly relevant every day. Um, So it's something that we want to talk about. Um, We know that we don't have the largest audience um, for this podcast, but nonetheless, it is an audience. And um, the reason we haven't been putting out episodes um, the past two or three weeks has because has uh, been because we didn't feel it was right to take up that space, and it was not right to take up that space. Um, so we we took a step away from the the normal, but we still wanted to um, make content. Right, and so we decided that the content we're going to make, um, we wanted to be able to help with the movement instead of being complicit and talking our regular, you know, stuff about TikTok and pop culture and everything else, um, which, you know, we still, we still like that stuff, but it's not as important as um, the topics we are going to cover today. Exactly. Um, So I hope we're, me and Sophie are both white people. Um, we're going yeah. into this um, with a very freeform discussion. We both watched the documentary today um, and are going to um, just kind of go over some things that we thought were worth um, mentioning and stuff we want to expand on. Um, yeah, we just wanted to make clear, though, that we are both white people speaking on this issue. Um, just want to be completely clear about that. And um, just in case um, someone we don't know is listening and... Um, yeah, that is how we wanted to preface this episode. Exactly. So without further ado, let's, let's jump into it. Um, right. So one of, so this documentary is wonderful. I don't think um, anybody who sees it would think otherwise. It's, it's truly put together so beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. It really, um, for me, it, it made that connection between um, every single like generational like racial um system racial inequality that's been put in place from this like from slavery to now it strung it all along in the timeline for me and it was really helpful to understand it from that perspective yeah this is a truly strong video essay um and the sources i think also are so amazing i think that is why this documentary is so great because of um how many primary sources are shown. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you have um, all these politicians speaking, you have um, intellectual scholars speaking, and then there are all these video clips um, from the 20th century, the late 20th century and early 20th century. But I'm, what I'm saying is the primary sources of politicians speaking on um, racial issues from the late 20th century. And I think those are, Um, integral to the argument that this um, documentary is making. Exactly. Um, It's one thing to, you know, think about the, the main concept of the documentary, which I guess is mass incarceration. Um, It spends about half of the documentary on that, but it's another thing to connect that um, through all of this found footage and um, through all these primary sources. And it makes it, it makes it truly like so factual. Um, I feel like a lot of times um, there can be, uh, arguments about, like, fact-checking and everything, but, like, like you're saying, like, this is truly, like, it's, it's genius, um. Yeah, honestly, and I'm, I'm saying if you haven't seen this movie, sit down with your family and watch it, like, with your parents, and have an open discussion if you can. I mean, I know not everybody has the privilege of being able to sit down with their family to watch a movie and then have a discussion about it, but, if you're able to, I highly suggest you do it. Um, I think it really helps with education and believing um, Black stories. Exactly. Um, especially <laughs> if you're 
if you're white and um, have a white family, these discussions, you know, watching this documentary, creating that space um, can be super valuable. Um, so I'm really glad you, uh, you gave that recommendation, Sophie. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing that was so eye-opening to me when I first saw this, and I first saw this in, I think, 2016 or 2017, um, mm -hmm. was realizing that how how slavery has impacted um, our social climate, our political climate, the entertainment that we consume, and the law. Yeah, it truly is so multifaceted. Um, and I feel like the, the argument is becoming um, super... I feel like a lot of people are saying, well, it's the law, so it's correct. Um, <laughs> and we, we obviously know that's not the case. And um, I think this documentary really um, put that into perspective for me because um, specifically, one thing that I, that I found super interesting was the concept of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Um, and it basically, to break that down um, into very, very simple terms, it basically is a organization um, where uh, with consisting of politicians and um, corporations and it basically was corporations um, drafting uh, lobbying policies that would directly you know benefit their business um, in a way that made it made the legislators job easy um, so the prime the prime example in the documentary was the um, I can't remember the specific name of the law. It was the one um, in Florida. Do you remember? No. It was, um, it was uh, basically, it, it was the, the law brought up in the case of Trayvon Martin, um, how if you feel threatened, you can shoot somebody. Um, was oh. the law that was um, lobbied by Alec and then put in place in, um, in Florida legislature. Um, and it, it's that just like blew my mind that really kind of struck home for me the fact that like huge corporations like um i mean i think the most name brand one i can remember is walmart um which eventually divested but um mm -hmm. huge huge corporations were having say in legislature um which is just so um you know it just rings true that like capitalism is like <laughs> awful <laughs> right yeah i mean that's a whole nother can of worms honestly um mm -hmm. i think talking about the structure of our current democracy is a hard one to tackle um but definitely examining how capitalism is playing into more areas of our life than we are willing to admit or aware of is super important because mm -hmm. if this is a democracy then people should have the right to know um about those those things exactly um but yeah i i was really um shocked by some of these laws um i mean especially how complicit large corporations are i mean if you think about walmart it's a huge one everywhere um tied to so many other corporations and just just the fact that they're so willing to participate in in prison labor i mean so many companies um when i say they are willing to participate in prison labor is really horrifying mm -hmm. um and i mean it just goes to show that like we haven't like moved on from slavery. Um, right, it's, it's just rebranded. Exactly. Um, I can't remember uh, which specific person in the documentary said it, but they were like, um, you know, the caste system isn't eradicated. It was just remade to fit modern terms. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember someone saying that um, Atwater was using like the dog whistle, just different words that mean the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that kind of, that plays into the war on drugs, um, which plays into how pop culture overrepresented black men as evil in the media. 
Um, and then ended up in a lot of internalized racism as well, which is also terrifying. Um, yeah. But yeah, the war on drugs, I think, is a really important part of this film. Um, I agree. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything to say about that. Well, just the fact that, like, the war on, like, quote-unquote war on drugs was, like, completely a political maneuver, um, Mm -hmm. I think that's so, it's just so aggravating, um, right? The the fact that, like, you're going to criminalize an entire demographic, you're going to, like, create a problem so that, like, you can gain more power (laughs) it's that's that's essentially what it is yeah and this whole thing with like the nixon party with the dog whistle politics i think is a huge part of that and how they turned um drugs into crime and not recovery from drugs like they wanted to criminalize it instead of um rehab that is i think a huge root of the problem is that we think of drugs as crime and not something that is um an issue that can be rehabilitated exactly um i think it's really shocking um i mean this is kind of what the the debate i've seen a lot of um people saying recently is the whole like you know like instead of like punishment like rehabilitation like that's that's how you actually like change people um yeah not that the like it's even like the people need to be changed in the first place I guess um but when it comes to like drugs like um when I was listening to like stories of um you know stories of people in prison who like had an addiction or had like mental health issues um and you know how being in prison just completely like made that experience worse like tenfold um Mm -hmm. it brought me to like um and and let me justify this it brought me to orange is the new black (laughs) because (laughs) that show like details like very like um very detailed uh lives of women who deal with drug abuse and like how like when you go into prison there's not resources to get out of that um and addiction is addiction is a disease it is truly so so difficult to to overcome by yourself um right and of course there's a social stigma now because of the war on drugs and how they were criminalized and honestly like there's a part of the the war on drugs section where um nixon's advisor admits that they knew that what they were doing by associating hippies with weed and black people with heroin um basically just criminalizing people that they wanted to criminalize you know so it's so it's one of the most interesting like sociological things ever I just it's (laughs) I mean like I said he created a problem people were polled and they said that like drugs like uh weren't an issue and like for many people in the country but like it was after, you know, Nixon that Reagan made it like an actual problem. And right. An actual campaign. Yeah. Too. Um, with, you know, Nancy Reagan saying, just say no. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, at face value, yeah, just say no but to drugs. But like, in this case, it was so racially charged that it, it was able to appear something so innocent because at face value it is a a, I guess morally sound thing to say but when you look into the I guess politics behind it it's so evil exactly and especially like when you have governmental systems um, I think the the specific phrase they used was steamrolling over these communities over these like black and brown communities Um, completely destroying local economies and you know that's just reinforced by you know throwing people in prison um, for no reason Um, is you you ruin these communities um, which and which destroys their resources and um, you combine that with over policing and you have just like a like 
like drugs are like a big source of money for people. Um, and it's like, you can look at the statistics too. Like it's not like, um, black and brown people like disproportionately use more drugs. I think there was a specific statistic that was like over 75% of like marijuana businesses are owned by white people. Right. right. Something, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's different now because now marijuana has become um, something that you can make an extreme profit off of legally mm -hmm. um, now that it has been recreational or legalized for recreational purposes in um, so many states. Um, I think that is definitely probably a higher statistic, even more so now. Definitely. Um, when... I think this film was made at the beginning of maybe the height of what we've reached now, the um, protests and what so many people would call violence. Sorry, guys, we had to take a quick break because my dog was um, barking very loudly. Losing their marbles. Uh, Wally lost his marbles, absolutely. <sighs> um, but anyways, yeah, I guess I wanted to say like, there was a huge um, uh, issue when we when it comes to how white people are treated for um, drugs in comparison to how black people are treated for drugs um, or drug related crimes um, because institutionally there are laws that you know made drugs that are more accessible to black and brown communities um, more criminalized so. I'm I'm referring to the crack cocaine versus crack or sorry versus cocaine powder cocaine. Yeah. yeah. Um, How cocaine was like, you know, it's it was like more expensive, more found in like white. Yes, suburban. It was what they said was that um, cocaine is a suburban issue and crack cocaine is an urban issue. Mm. Um, and they were essentially the same thing. Um, I mean, crack cocaine is just when you can smoke um, cocaine, but powder cocaine is um, more of like the refined one and I guess more expensive. Um, but basically, um, crack cocaine was punished way more than it was, um, than cocaine was, which I thought was insanely interesting because it's essentially the same thing just in different forms and one was being used by black and brown people more and one was being used by white people more and what do you know it's not just by coincidence that the one that was being used by black and brown people was way more criminalized than the other exactly um and it just goes to show how like law and order as a concept is so fucked and just right. so i mean if that doesn't make it clear that like the criminal justice system is biased um i don't know what does no completely um and that just goes right back to nixon's advisor admitting that they know what they're doing um on a call or no on a recording where he said don't quote me on this um which he's just admitting that <laughs> like yeah literally he, he's straight up admitting that it is it is what we think it is what the left think it thinks it is because he's saying don't quote me on this but uh, exactly. we know what we're doing yeah um i feel it's just i mean I feel like I can't really add anything to, like, it speaks for itself. I'm speechless. Um, well, right, right. And I think, I think it's interesting to think about how politics plays into our entertainment as well. I mean, we are, after all, an entertainment podcast. So I think it is really interesting to think about how, um, how law and order um, affects how the white the white population interacts with media. Um, so I particularly was interested in the um, movie that they were mentioning at the beginning, 
I don't know if you remember that, Graham. Um, what was were, it called? I forget the name of it. It was like, were, a, it wasn't a Brave New World. Um, no. The Birth of a Nation. Yes, The Birth of a Nation. Um, where it was a white man in blackface and he was shown like being a predator to a white woman which has become a trope in I think a lot of stories where Mm -hmm. the um, uh, interracial crime is just played up in a way that harms harms society in multiple ways one being um obvious that it harms race politics um it harms black people and one being um that it harms feminism in a way too because it's saying the white woman needs the white male savior to be saved from this um black man you know yeah and which is disgusting on so many fronts because it's it's harming politics in a way that is just framing framing women as weak and framing black men as as the predator exactly and like that you know trend like that translated to like actual like arrest like false arrestments of like black people who had like been accused of raping like white women um right they literally were innocent like right and evident, like, no, was, like from genetics like a dna like i yeah, there <laughs> I was just like dna testing and yeah. trump was also uh involved in that he was publicly speaking about um these men who allegedly when there was actual scientific evidence that it wasn't them but allegedly had raped um white women he was um, aiding in the wrongful in- incarceration of of these black men who did not actually rape these women, um, but at the same time he was also um, publicly hanging out with uh, Epstein, <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> probably for all we know, Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, he was probably hanging out with him. Like, I mean, you, it's just so hypocritical. And he himself also was involved in, you know, or allegedly involved in, you know, statutory um, allegations. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, it makes no sense. Like, all, the only thing that makes sense is that it's racism. Yeah. It's just literal racism. You're literally, I mean half of the stuff I want to say, it's, it's just like, I feel like it should be obvious. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Um, I mean, you can say it like, do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're just taking white crimes and like making them like, like, and when I say white crimes, I mean like things that like white people have done and get away with. And like, you're, you're disproportionately, you know, you're targeting black communities, um, even if they didn't do the crime, which is, I don't know. I think that's a, that's another thing I want to bring up. Um, this whole concept of crime, which I know is huge, um, but rewatching this documentary um, made me rethink criminality from like a very personal perspective, because there have been, because I mean, from from a very young age, we're taught that like the police are like good people that will protect you. Um, that these are what these things criminals do these things so you do not want to do these things and create a distance between yourself and a criminal um but the whole idea of a criminal like stemmed from racism um and that's just supported by like the fact that one in three black men are um going to be in jail at some period of their life um as opposed from the one in 17 white people um, it's shown by like how like like there's six six percent of the U.S. population are black men, but they make up nearly fifty percent of the prison industrial system. It's if those numbers aren't telling, then like I seriously do not know what is <laughs> exactly. Um, so I I'm currently in the process of just deconstructing what 
I've been taught a criminal is. Right, um, and I think that is so important for white people right now to start deconstructing all these ideas that we've been, you know, that we've just thought are true our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, first and foremost, like the police being always right, but something I've been struggling with a lot lately is realizing that the police sometimes get away with stuff that is above the law just because they are police exactly there's there's no i mean there's no higher form of accountability it fails every time nearly every time right and you know people people say oh well that's why we have the three-party system in the with the law you know the branches (laughs) and everything like that but i'm like uh, where is the (laughs) literally the no i mean where's the checks and balances Exactly. I know we're talking like abstractly, um, but like seriously, where are the checks and balances? If you, if you look at the, like the way that like Trump's presidency in specific, um, uh, specifically has like root, like ruined checks and balances. And like, that's when you, that's what happens when you have like a majority of like a one party, like you have a majority one party in like Capitol Hill in the Supreme court, like, Mm -hmm that's what, ha- like, things start to blend, um, right. and it and truly it, starts to become very controlling and manipulative. Right, and that's how, you know, I don't want to, you know, be out here saying dictatorship, but that's how, you know, these systems start to form, and I, I saw this um, Instagram story the other day, and the information was sourced from an interview with Andrea J. Ritchie for NPR. Um, I saw that um, police sexual violence is the second most frequently reported form of police misconduct, and that a police officer is caught in an act of sexual misconduct every five days. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. And they're often acquitted for these um, crimes because no one is checking them. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I... Okay, I feel like this might be a hot take, but I would say that this era right now is going to be like written as history as the people versus the police and the police are not just the police. It's like the institution and all the people who support the police. Yeah. Authority. Right. Essentially. It feels like it's like the police are a force that people who want justice are up against. It definitely does feel like um, there's more solidarity between different communities and it does feel like it's kind of, I don't want to say polarizing because that word is just overused, but like it definitely feels like it's kind of, we're congealing into like those two, you know, the people versus the police. I totally agree. Yeah. And when I was watching this documentary, so many of the videos and images shown just looked like the news today. Exactly. <laughs> like I was shocked. Like I was like, why did like the the water um spraying, like you know how they were the police were hosing people in yes. the riots? Just reminded me of tear gassing. Exactly. And I I think like multiple social conflicts is also a commonality between then and now. How they had the aftermath of World War II and we have the pandemic and also both um, have economic mess <laughs> involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just the same rhetoric is also being repeated that black freedom results in crime. Um, yeah. Just coded now because that's obviously a racist thing to say. Black freedom results in crime. But now... Mm-hmm it's coded it's saying uh, they're talking about the looters but they're saying black people are looters and and criminals and all this stuff or they're saying black lives black lives matter movements people are criminals because they are looters but like in reality the looters are separate from peaceful protesting and exactly most of the, the leaders condemn people who are looting exactly um and that, that's, that's been a really interesting um, argument um, is, you know, it's 
do I agree with looting? No. But like, if it happens, do I care? No. <laughs> like, right. I, I care. I care from a sense of like media perspective. Like, I I know that like conservative media outlets are going to focus on that because obviously, like, people care. A lot of people care more about property than human lives. Um, but mm-hmm. like, if, yep. if if like a few, and like I I do feel bad for like the local businesses um, who like I don't know. Like there's uh, specifically the one I'm thinking of, there's like a, there was a camera repair shop and <laughs> the way I said that camera <laughs> repair shop yeah. uh, in Chicago um, that's been around for like decades um, and how that's, uh, how that shop was completely ruined. It was owned by an Asian man. Um, yes. But I think that goes to show that people value commodities and um, property way more than they value lives and yeah. the thing is, is that those shops and all the property material can, be, can rebuilt. be rebuilt and lives cannot be restored, which I think should be the convincing argument. Like, hello? No, yeah. <laughs> what? Why? How do you argue against that? Mm-hmm. Like, property can always be repaired. I'm really um, frustrated. I'm just, I, I've, there've been many moments in the past few weeks where I've just sat and, um, I, I've truly just become so, I feel like aware, um, of my surroundings a lot more. I'm definitely learning a lot more, um, and specifically, like, about how, like, capitalism, like, equals racism in a lot of ways, and, like, how ingrained that is in my own thoughts and other people's thoughts, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's been a realization I've come to. Right, and, like, getting worried about, oh, no, like, around the corner, the Louis Vuitton store was looted. <laughs> like, oh, geez, God oh, forbid there are crap. 50 purses that have been stolen. <laughs> I mean... I okay, so I had a doctor's appointment, and so I was walking down Michigan Avenue, and pretty much everything was like boarded up, and there were hordes of police officers all over the place. I was like, "You're literally just protecting stores, <laughs> like for what?" And there, are, I'm not kidding you. I saw like maybe five clumps of t- ten policemen or police people, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, gathered together at corners and stuff. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, there are maybe people who might need help or something. Like, I don't know. Why are you guys the, just standing around talking to each other? The priorities are just so, they've never been good <laughs> There are just all. way too many also. Mm-hmm. Why? That was another thing um, that I wanted to talk about, how Clinton ended up um, in his 1994 crime bill, militarizing the police and putting more police on the street and expanding the prison system, which obviously has not gone away at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I think so... one of the most sorry sorry to cut you off. No, I think no, one please of the do. Most, one of the most um, powerful things I gained from that was like it's not like a Republican or Democratic issue. Um, at the end of the day, it's, um, it's a, it's like a, it's a racism issue. Like, and, and no, no political party is absolved of that. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like no one, no one should be above the law. If that makes sense in this context, like Mm-hmm. nobody should be able to say actually I don't know where I'm going with that like I guess well, I'm nobody made... should be above the law but like at the same time like I'm just I have such a distrust in in modern American law right now well I think that's because some people are above the law and can be above the law put themselves above it and can remove themselves from the enforcement of law because they are a part of the enforcement of law or have Mm -hmm. money um i just 
I'm I'm just thinking about the Me Too movement and like how many of these people are just chilling because they have money. Like they're fine. Yeah. I mean, maybe like people hate them, but they're fine. Like they're not uncomfortable now. They're not uncomfortable. Like they're living in their homes. Nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, just crime is so disproportionate fundamentally i think it's it yeah i mean like i said earlier like it's it's at its root just not meant to be fair at all right and i mean like and and like i know there's something i know like when we think about crime like we like we need to think about it in like all contexts and like for like seriously violent crimes right um you know that's a different story but like and that doesn't matter your skin color like violent crimes are violent crimes Mm -hmm. proved violent crimes (laughs) yeah you know full evidence like i mean that is something in a in a different category but i'm saying like these alleged crimes and drug crimes everything like that is just so messed up and especially if laws coming from the basis of when the KKK were allowed to you know run around willy-nilly I think that's a problem like yeah (laughs) and if you can't say that's not a problem I mean if you if you if you say that's not a problem then I feel like you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, it, it is so strange to me that there's evidence of how slavery is just rebranded over years and years and years and years. And everyone's like, I'm sorry, what? Like, no, it isn't. <laughs> and like, don't, don't want to talk about it. And then you have politicians on tape saying, we know what we're doing. And then there's all these videos and evidence that people didn't commit these crimes, but they're in jail or dead. I, I, how? How do you justify it? But also, how do we move on from it? Exactly. And I, I mean, that's what the conversation always leads to it's like you know when you have a system that's so corrupt like where do you start um right and i think one of the one of the uh takeaways from watching the documentary for me was um this whole idea of turning criminalization into humanization um and realizing that like crime doesn't like the the types of crimes that disproportionately affect like black and brown communities um it's not necessarily like not getting at the root of like how to punish these people but like why do they like why were these like quote-unquote crimes committed and like what you know just just focusing less on punishment more on like rehabilitation i i think that's what i'm kind of learning about um yeah yeah i guess i (laughs) guess like repetitive or whatever no you're good i think i think though on another note though that it's interesting to be having these conversations given that we grew up in a place that is historically racist yeah um to listeners we're both from the north shore of chicago where redlining and gerrymandering and um sundown towns completely existed not too long ago um not in the 21st century but i mean well gerrymandering does but yeah it's really interesting to examine the surroundings we grew up in um and how our high school was so white um I I don't think I ever had a black teacher at our high school. Me neither. Um, never. I don't think I, I mean, I don't recall ever seeing a black teacher. 
I was there a black teacher? Um, no, I don't. I genuinely I, <laughs> cannot recall. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I definitely remember there being white teachers and then black custodians or security mm. staff. Yep, yep, security staff. That's so interesting too. Um, and I also recall there being so much racist, um, like casual language. Mm-hmm. Um, just you would hear it walking around, like as you're walking through the hallways, you know, I would hear white people saying the N word all the time. Yeah. In the locker room. Oh my God. The locker room made me want to die for, for <laughs> multiple for reasons. So, so many reasons. Right. But um, that's like, I would hear like what I would call, you know, the popular girls and stuff calling each other the N word. What? <laughs> where's the joke? <laughs> yeah. Where's the humor? Like, what's funny? You know, but it totally like, I think desensitized a lot of us to the reality of the word and also the historical narrative of where we got to grew up grow up what where we got to grow up Mm -hmm. um and i guess the land itself like the historical narrative of our uh geographical situation yeah um we completely grew up in a bubble which not only made these issues you know go unnoticed but also just like limited our exposure to like these types of conversations and um like you said made us kind of ignore the historical narrative of racism and how like just because there's like i mean there's like a small like a small portion of like the north shore population is black um doesn't mean that there's not racism like frequently um Mm -hmm. i think that's been a really important thing for uh for people to realize um how like you don't have to be you don't have to like say something to a black person explicitly or like do like racism exists in countless forms um yeah in microaggressions in attitudes i think i mean i definitely would say that i was extremely desensitized to racism um like i just had no idea about how impactful um my own actions could be me too and my friends and everyone around me i had no idea and i don't think people who were you know our peers had an idea either which i'm not saying is not our fault i'm saying is a fault of the system that we grew up in but also like geographically speaking chicago is very segregated um and i think that is a result of the the end of slavery um as what i would say the diaspora of the south of southern slavery um mm-hmm. you know is is what we know as modern ghettos like where they came to chicago la new york and form their own communities because what else do you do you run away from the south why would you want to be there Mm -hmm. where like so much trauma occurred exactly Um, but as a result there's specific areas and where we grew up is very very segregated Like, there's just absolutely, like we said, like, there were no Black teachers that we can recall. um, And there were very, very few Black students. It's just the disparity of wealth and power is is so 
now clear to me. Um, but then I just had no idea. Mm -hmm. Seriously, like I really like I in high school, I considered myself like more versed than most about issues regarding race um, just because of like the people I chose to talk to and the curriculum that I chose to learn. Um, but I it's you truly do not like there's so much to say about like getting out of that space and going and like interacting with like the, the issues you're talking about. Right. There becomes a certain point when I think you are responsible for your own um, awareness. I don't, I don't know if I can say when that is, yeah. um, but I think there, there comes a time when you do take responsibility for your own education and what you choose to hear and what you choose to not hear. Uh -huh. And if we're actively choosing to live in this bubble and ignore black problems, what, like that is, that's a whole choice. Like that is, that is a life choice. And you can't, you can't say you, you are not ignoring it. Like personally, I just, I'm so ashamed that we went to a high school where my classmates can choose to ignore racial problems. I think it's disgusting that our high school allowed that to happen. They allowed us to make choices where we could completely disregard other people. I, when you put it in those terms, it really does seem like one of the biggest flaws, if not the biggest flaw that our, that our high school has made. Um, and the fact that it was by, backed up by like so many of our parents, um, not necessarily surprising, but just, right. you know, just makes the issue that much more important. Right. Like, I feel so strange that some of our peers went to places that still don't hold them accountable or social climates that don't hold them accountable for their actions or feelings and thoughts about race. I, it's so hard to fathom mm -hmm. how we can come all from the same place. Um, and I feel really grateful for the media that I've been able to, um, been able to read and consume, um, I guess, yeah. like this documentary, like, like I said, the first time I saw this documentary, my mind was blown, you know, I was like 17 when I first saw this and I was like, holy shit, you know, yeah. it's like, you are, you're kidding. Like I had no clue. <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember like sitting after that movie, just sitting there, like staring. I, I had no idea what to do with myself. And especially, I mean, like, not that this feeling is different now, but like, especially at that age, just like when you see something so like abhorrently incorrect and you want to change it, but it, you just feel very powerless. But um, I think one of the, one of the things that I, um, I've definitely learned in the past couple of weeks is the power of my privilege and how I can use that to leverage and fight for what I believe in, specifically when it's related to racism, because people will listen to me, um, and I should not take that for granted. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I don't really want to bark up a wall with us like <laughs> reiterating the same thought. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add. Um, I, I don't think so. Um, I guess my, one of my closing remarks um, would be that like punishment is profit um, in many cases. Um, and instead, and I, I encourage anybody 
listening to this podcast to obviously watch 13th if you haven't. Um, watch it with your white friends. Watch it with your white family. Um, discuss the movie afterwards. Don't let it be a piece of entertainment that you forget about the next day because um, it truly is an incredible source of information. Um, rethink um, where you live. Rethink your idea of criminality and law and order. You don't have to, and I'm not saying necessarily think about it as if it were wrong, but just, you know, think critically um, yeah. of your privilege and uh, where it's gotten you. Um, yeah, certain things that, like, that, okay, something that helps me, like, think it all out is by free writing in my journal about it. Like, yeah, because there you know it is private. Um, you know that no one can access it if you are, you know, a private person. And also when you start writing, you start thinking of new things and your thoughts and feelings do unfold in kind of a natural way when you let yourself write. Um, so I, I suggest to people um, examining what Graham said, um, where you live, your privilege by writing. Yeah, even, if I you're, think even if you're a bad writer. Oh, I am like, I am not a good writer and journaling has been helpful for me nonetheless. I think that's, right. um, I, I support that. Um, I've also, if you're, if you're not too into the idea of writing, um, doing a voice journal, like I, for a while, I would just drive um, somewhere and park. So I knew I was alone um, and just out of the house and I would just voice journal for like an hour. That's a great um, idea. On the voice recording on my phone. It, yeah, it was nice because I couldn't, it was hard to necessarily look back at it, but it was just me venting and thinking out things as I talk through them, mm -hmm. um, which definitely is a, a different process and method for people. So um, right. you have options. And again, talk to people about this. This isn't something that should be completely private, right? Like we need, it's important yeah. to have these conversations with others. I think unpacking your thoughts can be private too. Like if you're afraid of the things you think about, um, if you if you need first to examine why do I think this way, I think is really important um, too. Yeah. But also, yes, talking with other people about it um, is highly important right now, and is why we decided to make some um, episodes about media that is informative and, you know, not the regular stuff that everybody knows. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so before we conclude, um, I think it's important that we plug a couple, um, a couple different things. Um, yeah. So one podcast that I haven't spent, honestly, I haven't spent much time listening to, um, but I've had it recommended to me m multiple times. And one of the co-hosts um, is on another show I listen to. Um, it's the podcast Dope Labs. Have you heard of it? No. It's this podcast ran by um, two Black women um, who have PhDs in um, different disciplines, but they're both they're both STEM majors. So um, they're they're very engaged in the academic world. And each episode, um, it's it's kind of like a conversation where they where they talk about something happening in, in pop culture, um, something that's um, something that could be a little bit more scientific and they break it down and just discuss it in a scientific way. Um, so it's, it's, it's a truly unique podcast. Um, that one's really fun to listen to. Um, the other one that I spend more time listening to is called Dissect. Um, and that podcast is, um, is created by a white man. Um, but the most recent season is in partnership with the co-host of Dope Labs, Titi uh, Shodia. Cool. And um, that uh, podcast, um, each season is an album and every episode is a song. And um, they basically go through each song of an album and dissect it. So lyrically, sonically, and they connect it to a bigger theme. So the one that TT is doing with the main host right now is um they're doing lemonade by beyonce so nice um, oh my god there's so much in lemonade yes literally I could talk and, about it for days like right oh, yeah so good. <laughs> um and obviously like lemonade is such like a visual album 
I, it has it is a visual album so yeah. they uh they've made like visual guides to look at online while you listen and it's it's really cool so it's not only like a really great way to um you know just explore music a little bit deeper but like all of the albums uh every single season is a album from a black artist and i think every single one talks like every single album like is centered around like the black experience and like the intersectionalities intersectionalities of that um like for example lemonade talks about like the generational violence that um like beyonce has experienced being in like a relationship with a black man and like through her father and like all this it's just so like complex and so i've I've really enjoyed being able to dive into those albums deeper so if you're very musically inclined like i am i recommend that yeah um i wanted to shout out some um instagram creators um because i feel like a lot of um people don't follow black creators um I think that's a problem if you're ingesting media only created by white people. Yeah, Um, (laughs) very much issues. So I follow this makeup artist. Her name is Sweet Mutuals. Um, So she's a model and a makeup artist. Um, She has like very like fun, colorful looks. Um, She's awesome. That's Sweet Mutuals. Um, And then another... um, creator he's uh he says he's an artist and um like on on the description and um he posts a lot of fashion posts and just photography um his name is alex goan a-l-e-x-g-o-w-o-n um he's an nyc artist and then a friend of mine named sierra um her at is ao midday a-Y-O-M-I-D-A-Y-E. Um, she is a content creator. She makes YouTube videos. Um, and she does fashion posts, makeup posts, um, art stuff. She's a really, really cool person. Um, she does a lot of like thrifting. It's, I don't know, just really cool stuff. Um, and those are three Black creators that I follow that I really love. There are plenty more. Um, but yeah, and they're also great TikTokers too. I know we talk a lot about TikTokers. <laughs> um, great t- TikTok um, creators too. I don't know if you, Graham, have any that you want to shout out. Um, not off the prepared. top of my head. Um, um, I yeah. wanted to shout out um, Fat Raccoon. Um, F-A-T-R-A-C-O-0-N. Oh, okay. I was like, why are you spelling it? <laughs> but I, okay. The zero. Got it. Um, yeah, she, like, she makes really informative posts, um, but, like, some more fun creators, like, um, like, lighthearted, I guess, because not everybody wants to, like, watch, like, super deep stuff all the time, um, is it's undos i know you follow him graham right oh yeah yeah i love him he's hilarious um and then shrek's dumpster shrek's dumpster classic (laughs) yeah she's so pretty it's kind of insane yeah um like offensively pretty and um quen blackwell is that her name shoot yeah um and then Flossie Baby, she's really funny. I'm trying to find. Oh, and oh my God, Kiki Janaja, the dancer. She's the one who made Savage. Oh my God, no way. <laughs> yeah, she is such a good dancer. And she did that dance, you know, the one that everyone was freaking out about how Charlie D'Amelio did the one where it's like, um, the one at the end where she goes, you better not try me or something like that she did her own version of that and it was just so good like I was sitting there with my (laughs) mouth open watching her dance for like five minutes like she's so 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 good um but yeah and then uh Quen I think that's her name hold on I'm making sure Quen Blackwell Quen dot Blackwell Q-U-E-N she's awesome too yeah she's she's one of my favorite creators Um, yeah she's so funny (laughs) like the things that she posts I'm like you really put that on the internet I respect you for that (laughs) there's this video like one of my favorites of her was um she like was like on the toilet and her boyfriend was like trying to give her like toilet paper because she ran out 
um, but then like pulled it away from her and she like let out this like blood curdling, <laughs> like completely out of pocket scream. Um, that just like let like made my jaw drop. But no, yeah. that is that's like a good <laughs> synopsis of her content. Like it's like weird random stuff that just makes you like roll on the floor. <laughs> like, <laughs> it kind of makes you R-O-T-F-L. <laughs> roll on the floor laughing okay oh. you guys <laughs> gotcha. okay guys um so that should be our episode this week um thank you so much for listening if you made it this far um i hope you have a wonderful week um i'm sophie you can find me at nyquil superstar on twitter instagram and tiktok and i have a youtube channel um yeah, yeah uh, definitely subscribe to Sophie's YouTube. Um, I just, I just want to plug that really quick. <laughs> um, my name is Graham. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, my Twitter and TikTok are Graham by Day, um, and then my Instagram is my full name, Graham Rhodes. Um, no H in that last name. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, have a good evening, night, day. I don't know what time of day it is for you, but <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Uh, goodbye. Bye, everybody.